but that curiosity that you have that beginner's mindset of not knowing Mm -hmm. is such a superpower because you might not have the experience of years but you also don't have that implicit sort of standard best practice in mind yeah so you can come in with a fresh perspective you're not bogged down by your years of experience and you can present new ideas and you can advocate for for different solutions which i think is super important hello everyone and welcome back to the design is for everyone podcast a project that intends to explore what it means to be a designer and how the role of design has evolved in the global context this time we're speaking with aki a data analyst turned designer, about entering the design industry. He brings us a unique perspective on what it meant for him to be welcomed to design and takes us through his path from the moment he figured out design was a future to pursue. And with that, we are live, or better yet, we're recording, and I always start the podcast in a really weird way, but that's it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> hey, Aki, and welcome to the Design is for Everyone podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Um, and and I'm, I'm excited to have you because I think that the topic that we're going to be talking today is going to be of interest to a lot of people, especially from a lot of junior designers and people trying to enter the industry, which is still, in my opinion, very much, uh, I don't know, a weird team many times. I see that the uh, design industry as a whole has a lot of barriers to new designers, to new juniors, or even every now and then there's always someone asking where are the junior designer roles and just stuff like that. So I think today's episode is going to be very interesting in that end. So to start, I was actually going to ask you, how did you end up doing design? How did you enter the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I... I know for a lot of people, some people have established careers or practices in terms of like graphic design. That's kind of their background or what they studied in school or human computer interaction. And there isn't really a standard way of getting into tech and design in general. Yeah. And I found that to be the case. So I actually, prior to getting into design and getting the role that I currently have, I was a, a data analyst working for a consulting firm. So a lot of work that I was doing in consulting, working for, you know, for anybody that's worked in consulting, working for like PwC or Deloitte or anything like that, you know, you're working in Excel, you're working with clients, working with a number of different stakeholders, and you're making informed decisions based off of data and research. And for me, at least with that background, that sort of, like that really translated well to design and and into tech. And I mean, for a lot of people, especially people that are trying to either transition into the industry or people that have a traditional design background, there isn't a standard way of doing it, which I think is hard for a lot of people, including myself. I mean, Mm -hmm. it took me a year to really say, you know, I'm a designer. I have a full-time role. I'm doing this as my full-time job. I have a portfolio to be established. It was a year and and some change in terms of getting myself established. But again, I just didn't have the background and there isn't really a traditional background for this. And, and, and it's more and more common to get more people with the non-traditional background entering, specifically in the tech world where I see that um, the doors are open for these type of roles that many times aren't as classically designed as it was before. And it's been the it's also been the field where the reinvention of what design means 
is a thing, right? You, you talked about how people transition from graphic design, and that's, for example, my background. Um, and the fact is, I know that nowadays, my job is clearly not just graphic design. It's clearly not just visual design. It went into a multitude of levels, and I eventually went not only into UX and uh, UI, but even some service design and, and some more specific areas. And having that diverse background and uh, something that is not just a classic training makes a lot more sense nowadays. But yeah. yeah. Um, so how was it, that shift? How do you feel like that kind of led you? Like how did it, was it difficult? Do you feel like kind of just made sense at the end of the day, but did you find many barriers? What what happened there? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, at least, it was not easy whatsoever. So, for me, at least, I started my transition into tech and design right around the pandemic. Like so many other people had too much time in my hands. I recently left my job as a data analyst and, and a consultant. And so in March of 2020, I started trying to figure out, okay, what do I do now? Uh, and I think a lot of people can share in that sentiment, but yeah, I, I start thinking about, okay, what is transferable? What am I passionate about? What are the skills that I currently have and how can I apply them to any industry? That was really what my thinking was. And so with my education, I focused on social entrepreneurship and business. And so with my background in that, it was about, again, creative problem solving, but making business decisions mm -hmm. and being able to speak to a number of different stakeholders. And there were some aspects of that that translated and made sense for, for consulting. And yeah. then I realized, okay, well, this can apply to also other industries. And so during the pandemic, I spent maybe three to four months just doing informational interviews mm -hmm. with anybody and anyone that would, that would speak <laughs> to me. And I mean, that was, that was for any industry. So, I mean, I started talking to people in uh, the music industry. I started talking to people in consulting. I started talking to people in uh, nonprofit and government work. And I mean, again, the, the pandemic made a lot of people reevaluate what they wanted to do and how they wanted to go about it, especially mm -hmm. with remote work becoming the, the common theme. Yeah, and that's... after talking to somebody who's a product manager, and sort of telling her about my skill set and my perspective, she she mentioned to me, um, have you ever thought about being a UX designer? And for me, at least, I said, okay, well, I don't know how to code. I, <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't, I'm not super technical. I, I don't have that sort of background. And the more and more research I did, I realized, oh, okay, this is, anybody can really fit into this. You just have to learn some common principles. And yeah. so that first barrier to entry was understanding exactly what design and UX, UI, product design was. So that was that was the first barrier to entry for sure. No, and at the end of the day, nowadays, at least, that is the type of information that you can get really fast. It it doesn't mean that everyone can everyone can follow the that path. Everyone can just figure out if design is for them. Then the I won't say the limitation, but I would say like then enters the if this is really for you as a passion, what you would like to do, right? And from what you just said, going after people, gathering all that data, trying to figure out what those people were, that feels natively like a UX 
designer, a UX researcher. Like it, it, it just fits you directly right there. Um, uh, it, was, it was some wax on, wax off type thinking, I guess. <laughs> Which is very interesting too. And thank you for the reference. Who doesn't love Mr. Miyagi's uh, extremely workaholic type of uh, training? Uh, um, but yeah, um, so you went through this entire giant change during the pandemic. Do you feel like not just taking all of this that you started doing, all of this information that you started gathering, and then someone just saying that to you, like, have you ever thought of being a UX designer? Do you feel like it just clicked, really clicked? Or did you really need a, that much affirmation, as you said, like going after and trying to figure out, can I really do it? The, was the information there for you or did you have to like scrape down a little bit and figuring out? Yeah, no, it, it wasn't, you should be a UX designer. Okay, I'm going to go start applying to jobs. That, that straightforward of a path, unfortunately, but fortunately, honestly, as soon as I sort of came to that understanding of, okay, well, this is what I want to do. Where do I start? And I, I started spending time. I didn't even download Figma at that point. It was, <laughs> let me understand in general, what is this space? Who should I know? What yeah. should I read? And that's when the, the real work started. So, um, and for me, at least, this is the, the process that I don't think a lot of resources cover in terms of education around getting into, into product design and UX design. You can read an article on Medium or watch a YouTube video saying, yeah. what is UX design? A day in the life of a UX designer. And you watch somebody make avocado toast and then stare at a computer. And then they're like, that's it. That's my day. I'm going to go for a run. Don't get me wrong. That content is great, again, for yeah. the very beginner and the uninitiated. But I, I, I spent like two months watching those and I said, oh, you're not telling me anything. There isn't any actionable insight for me to start. What do I do? And so I came across this course while I was also reading books and watching YouTube. And again, that's really general. What yeah, I would yeah. say is the book that I found most helpful as someone trying to hone my skills was About Face. It's an amazing book that really covers all aspects of design. And then yeah. the course that I took that really gave me the fundamentals and when I really started working in Figma was Udacity. And it was mm -hmm. the Udacity nano degree course. And for me, at least, when I was starting to explore options to learn, of course, there were boot camps. So there was, you know, Flatiron, General Assembly, yeah. and a few others. And, and their whole thing was, you can become a designer in three months. Mm -hmm. You can absolutely become a designer. You'll have a portfolio. You'll have... Three case studies in three months. Where where have I heard that before? It sounds really good, right? Yeah, and I I won't say that some people that are inclined into becoming professional designers, getting that course could be a, a game changer. It's always just a, it's such a giant promise, and 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 it undersells, not undersells. It's it's sells you a vision of design is just these, and there's not like some levels of detail around it and some levels of complication around it, which for me doesn't mean that you can't take it, you can't become a designer like that because some people for sure can do it, but it's always such a, a very straight, narrow path and design has so many different paths 
heading into that same direction, that it, it's always a promise that I like to discuss a little bit with. Because yeah. those boot camps are incredible, but at the same time, they become such an industry standard that it, sometimes it's even not that well seen, I would say, because of that promise of that, oh, you become a designer in three months, so you are now an expert. Yeah. And I think that there's a number, I have, I have a, first off, before I say anything about boot camps, I think that they're great. hundred percent. Again, I think that what they do in comparison to the path that I took, cause I chose not to do a boot camp. Mm -hmm. I chose to do a, a self-paced online course that offered a lot of similar different modules to boot camp. So yeah. you learn sketching, you learn research you learn how to do a wireframe and then a design and then high fidelity and applicable prototype and you make your portfolio very similar to what a boot camp offers in three months having said that i don't think that it's the one thing that i see across anybody that goes through a boot camp program mm -hmm. and through no fault of their own is the fact that their case studies don't have real world constraints yeah. And that's the yeah. biggest thing about being a designer is that's great that you were able to go through the case study and hit every single step. But the real part of being a designer is, okay, what do you do? Or how do you think when a roadblock comes up or if there's a constraint in terms of the code or in terms yeah, of scope? You. And that's, that's the real thing that I think Thankfully, because I didn't do a boot camp, I was able mm -hmm. to really get a grasp on is the fact that you can learn all the fundamental skills of design, but if you can't speak to how you process information or how you collaborate in a real world setting, that's where the real challenge comes. And that's, I think that boot camps do a good job of exposing you to that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a great starting point, but it, the it's, next it's not the only thing that, that you need. It, it, you need something exactly. on top of that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And when you were talking about their their use cases and their, the case studies that they build, I said this without joking to, in some of the mentorship uh, sessions that I do. is like you came from bootcamp A, B, or C. Because I can see in the way that they did their exercises that they did bootcamps, that they did trainings in a specific way, that it's a format of that school, and you can see it. And it's not like it's a bad thing. It's a great thing, again, if you're really inclined into changing your job into that area, if you're focused on becoming a designer, what you get from these courses is amazing. It's a lot of information into one point, but they're being sold as a magic solution to turn anyone into a designer. And that's where I feel like it needs to be a balance on people understanding what those factors externally to the course are. And what you just said, the human factor, the error, the limitation, the, the technology factor, those things are never... And I speak even for my education. I took more of a classical education, but I studied multimedia design. So I didn't just study graphics. I studied code. I studied animation, audio, video, you name it. In all of that, I don't remember anyone saying, well, what if this happens? Or here's a use case for you to build. There are limitations. No, it's always, we live in a perfect world when we're being taught, which is great. But at the same time, when you get into the uh, job market, that's when I see professional designers specifically struggle more. And that's where I feel like it creates a definition of who is a designer, a pro designer, and who is someone who uses design, which I talk about every now and then. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think 
for for me at least when it comes to i mean just to to speak towards shifting into a new career mm-hmm. um i mean like i did what i did in in lieu of going to a boot camp was i did the online course and yeah. then i started to seek out people who i could help either bring their product to life or design their website for them my advice would never be to work for free but that is what i did for a <laughs> lot of cases because yeah. i needed to build out my portfolio Mm-hmm. And so some of the work that I did was I worked with entrepreneurs that had an idea, had a business plan, had so many different aspects to their vision that it was mm-hmm. easy for me to slot in and provide an MVP. So I did a lot of MVP design or website design to help them capture emails for potential clients. Um, and a lot of that was really scrappy and it was, it, it required a lot of creative thinking for sure. And speaking about working for free, I don't think if someone is requiring you work and wants you to do it for free, completely wrong. If you feel like there's a project where you could learn with, you would invest in to start your career and you want to do it for free, then that's your option and that's great. And that's also a lot of what I did as a, stu- a student. I During the three years that I did in college to take my, my bachelor, I did a lot of that type of work because it made sense like working with students' associations, with, I don't know, friends' bands or small businesses. It teaches Absolutely. you a lot of that working with people, working with humans, finding their limitations, finding what works for them. And it tells you a lot about being a designer because at the end of the day, being a designer is to serve someone through the solution of problems, in my opinion. You're going to be figuring out what they need and turn it into a reality or at least into the blueprints of what a reality is for them right right so that human factor there makes perfect sense and again doing the work for free not an issue if you're doing it with that intention and i and the path that you chose feels really interesting because a lot of people either enter the industry without knowing their own value and they kind of just start working with people but either not being well paid or, or or not being aligned either usually jump to that ultimate step where oh now I'm a pro designer, I'm worth this and that. And they don't know how to handle the fact that they are trying to enter a market that it's many times already filled with people that work in their own ways. Doing yeah. what you did feels very much like a proper ramp up where you went in, you talked with people, you started learning the job while doing it, which is great. I would love that more people had that type of experience, honestly. And then just found your place in this mess that his design world (laughs) yeah and i'd say i mean the biggest resource for me in jumping that gap was twitter Mm -hmm. i mean 100 percent, twitter is the best resource when it comes to being exposed to the crazy world that is the design Mm -hmm. i think design twitter is such a a fascinating place i mean that's how you and i got connected yeah Uh, that's how i met my mentor that's how I actually got my first full-time job, the one that I'm currently working for Macro. Mm-hmm. Design Twitter is such a small community and it is such an important resource because you can start being exposed to like Web3. You can start being exposed to engineering. You can start being exposed to so many different aspects of design yeah. once you get into design Twitter. Um, and that's that's honestly what I think really helped me jump the gap was also being able to see oh wow this is someone's portfolio this is really cool like this is dope i want to do that for my portfolio 
Yeah. And that's when I really started getting inspiration for some of my designs, some of my actual portfolio and being exposed to people that were doing really awesome work in different aspects. I mean, you were talking about being a multidisciplinary designer. Mm -hmm. I think that design is a great place for you to figure out what your niche is. So like for me, I know that accessibility is a huge thing that I want to focus on throughout my career because I believe that when you design something to be accessible, you design for everyone. Yeah. And yeah, yeah if, if it's accessible and anyone can use it, then everyone can use it. And part of that also is realizing design systems. Okay. Well, with design systems, you have the ability to design components and different modular pieces of an overall design. And if you do that with accessibility in mind, you have a greater chance of creating an accessible product. Yeah. So that's, that, that was my intention and being in design Twitter really helped me figure out my niche, which I think is really important is if you're going to be trying to break into a new industry where there is a de- established practices, I think identifying your skills and how they can fit into specific niches is important. And the role of communities like Design Twitter on that is, is key for sure. I, I, I feel like I skipped a couple of communities during the, the years of my working as a designer. I did a lot of work as a designer as a, a classically trained artist designer, which is what I usually call to people like me who went to college and kind of went on a path where they told you, you are special, you are a designer, you're going to be able to work and do your things and sell it to people. And they forget to tell you that you're going to be working on a team or on a community or on a space. And spaces like Design Twitter, where people chat on open forums and just share ideas and share thoughts, share products, are great baselines for this beginning and, and this start. And I would actually would love to ask you outside of Design Twitter and some of the things that you already talked about, but if you could be more specific about what type of communities, tools, or even people help you get there. Where did you found that help to really start your work? Yeah. The Udacity Nano Degree was a really great place to start off. But I think another great resource to hone your design skills was Shift Nudge, the course by MDS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's it's so exhaustive. I still haven't finished every single mo- module of it. But it's awesome. I mean, it is a, a, a dope resource for any designer. And I think that that's one of the main courses that I really like. And I mean, for me, at least with my focus in accessibility, I started following people on Twitter who focuses on accessibility. Anna Cook, who is a, a huge source of inspiration. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joey Banks over at Twitter, he's a huge person that I, I follow. But for me, at least, I found a mentor, and his name is Brandon Thornton, and he's a, a senior designer over Twitter. Mm-hmm. And without without his help on a regular basis, day-to-day, communicating with him, asking his advice, asking his perspective, and you know him nudging me in the right direction, that was the biggest help for me, was, was finding a mentor. And Brandon has been phenomenal in terms of having a, a resource to support um, support me in my career and my growth. And I just wanted to, to take a moment to, to thank him and honor the support that he, he has given me because mentorship is huge. When you can learn from someone else's past experiences mm-hmm. and the, the human element that we were talking about, that's, that's the, the real, like the real meat of it. That's the, the real part of it. 
fact, yeah. Nowadays, I've been doing mentoring sessions because I want to do that for other people that ha people haven't done as much in my career because I feel like that is such a game changer. Mentoring is something that people can access without that many bar barriers, as probably you could see before. Like, I don't know, mentoring, I feel, is going through a phase where it became something that people can do without being an overly complicated thing as it was before. Like finding a mentor, for me at least, and I started my career 10 years ago, felt very difficult because in college you were taught about, oh, these great designers, and every now and then you know, oh, there's this great company here and there. But most of times people were treated like untouchable and you couldn't really go to get some knowledge from them. Or the best you could do is like go to a conference hear, I don't know, Sagmeister talking or something like that, which is great too. Like I love the type of stories that Sagmeister tells, but I never got to speak with someone in that way until I entered the job market and I got mentors that were actually like managers or people that were leaders and that helped me in some way or, that, or, or another. And nowadays mentorship has become so much easier due to these communities, due to these open conversations like the one that we're having right now where we can say like these are people that can help you these are people that you can talk to you shouldn't be afraid of and I think that was really really a big game changer to at least people that want to grow in their industry and I also feel like it was a, a well-hidden secret of people that were already ahead in their in the industry right you just yeah. started right now you got a mentor which is great but every story that I hear from people that had mentors five six ten years ago were most likely senior designers and leads that already knew other people in the industry that they admire. And since they had already been working for such a long time, they weren't afraid of speaking with those people because they were part of the space and the community. Nowadays, you can start yep. being part of the community even when you're not a designer. And then you can already start having those conversations before you even start, which is great. Yeah. And I mean, it's through resources like following somebody on Dribble or I, I keep going back to Twitter, but yeah. Liking somebody's, yeah. liking somebody's, you know, tweet and then, you know, sending them a DM like, hey, I really like what you said. And I don't take it for, for granted the fact that it is hard to, to reach out to somebody and yeah. cold message them. That is, that is, that takes guts. That, that's really hard. <laughs> and I mean, if you're naturally extroverted, that's great. Or if you're an introvert, that it's going to be really hard. And I mean, what I would say is leading with authenticity, regardless of how you connect with people or how much you want to connect with people. If you're authentic in your approach and saying, hey, I am a new designer. I really like what you did. I would love to be able to just take 30 minutes of your time and just, you know, hear your perspective or just get to know you and mm -hmm. start to build that rapport. I keep saying from a place of authenticity because, you know, if you are passionate about typography or if you're passionate about animation, everybody in the design community has been so nice in the best way possible compared to like consulting, which is so cutthroat. <laughs> I, I, Where I'm have I heard loving that before? This. Oh my God. Okay. I, I, yeah, just the design community is so open and friendly. It's the best. Mm -hmm. And I would say, don't be afraid to message somebody if they're doing something that you think is dope and that you want to do one day and they're in design or in tech in general. Absolutely. They're, I would say 80% of the time going to be open to having a conversation with you. Yeah. And 
Yeah. And you're, I, I would say you're going to find people to connect with, whether that's someone you're going to collaborate with, whether that's somebody that you're just going to, you know, retweet or a mentor. But um, I, I just say lead with authenticity and find people doing dope stuff that you want to do. Yeah. 100% agree with that sentence. And also to not only, if you're an introvert, if you're someone that doesn't feel as comfortable and you want to find people that are open to have conversations with you, there are also platforms, and I'm going to talk about one that already is has been in the podcast, which is ADP List, for example, or a couple of others where you can just go and find people that are willing to talk about specific topics. And that's already going to take a, a lot of the hedge of trying to find someone because it's going to give you someone that it's already, okay, I'm open to talk about this. If you need someone to talk with, I'm here for you. Yeah. It's, it might be, not be the person that you were looking at on Twitter or something, but sometimes these people are also great assets because they are there to help you and they are there ready to support you. But going on a Twitter and just dropping a message onto someone's, specifically on design Twitter, definitely super open, uh, but also even on some LinkedIn people, social media overall, if you're a designer, most designers, even the, the biggest ones, will have an answer for you. For example, I talked about Psychmeister. Psychmeister told me no to this podcast really easily. That was easy. I just sent an, e an email and he answered me. But he also does this really cool thing where he criticizes people's work on Instagram, really short critics. But it's really cool because his Instagram is basically a kind of window shopping type of thing where you see people's work and it's a portfolio of multiple designers and not, and not just his. But the fact is he literally... Being known as one of the biggest designers or the one of the highest paid designers in the world, he just put his email out there and said, send me things and I'm going to give you feedback and talk with you. And that's a little bit of the feeling that I have with the entire design community is most people do feel like that. Most people are open to talk and help you and give you feedback and do whatever they need to help you if they have the time. Yeah. And I'd say that's, it's hard to break into that industry, but that's the one thing that you have going for you when you're yeah. trying to break into yeah. design is how friendly people are and 100 adp list is amazing because it has people like um people who are like lead designers over at netflix or hulu or yeah uh, yeah and and they're responsible for specific initiatives so i mean i i think that's the one thing that thankfully design is really great about is finding people to openly communicate with you and then also critiques because mm -hmm. it's never easy getting constructive criticism. Also with resources like you were talking about, it doesn't have to be directly at you, which can feel really personal. But mm -hmm. if you can watch critiques of other people's designs or if you can watch or listen to people critique or, or see a video of someone critiquing someone else's design, you, you don't have to deal with the direct attention on how your design is. You can learn from someone else's critique. Yeah, that's that's really, there, there's a lot of resources out there and, and there's so many different ways for you to just learn and, and, and hear from those things. Still on this topic of entering the industry, but a little bit on a different note, based on your experience and, and already with everything that we talked about before, and you just said that it's hard to break into the industry, what do you feel like, the world of design treats newcomers and juniors like how did you felt like people treated you once you started working into design um yeah it's i mean once you're once you're in the space once you're getting paid to do the work 
and you have the title designer, it's a great feeling. That's a huge win. Pat yourself on the back because you you <laughs> made you took that large step into the space. You're here. Yeah. You're one of us now. Yeah. It's awesome. And obviously it's really challenging because you start to to question yourself like, okay, someone's gonna find out that I really don't know what I'm doing. And they're going to find out I'm, I'm an imposter. And that's where imposter syndrome starts to come in, especially for people that are new. They're like, okay, they let me in. Now let me just like keep to myself and just make sure nobody finds out. And instead, I mean, that is a lot internally. And I know that I experience it on a regular mm-hmm. basis too, because of imposter syndrome. But that curiosity that you have, that beginner's mindset of not knowing mm-hmm. is such a superpower because you might not have the experience of years, but you also don't have that implicit sort of standard best practice in mind. So you can come in with a fresh perspective. You're not bogged down by your years of experience and you can present new ideas and you can advocate for different solutions, which I think is super important. Critical Um, yet. Like it's one of those things that at least in my perspective and being where I am, I'm only, and I'm going to say this, not in a light tone. I'm only 10 years into the industry and I just keep learning and learning. And every time that I can open space to talk with someone that it's on a junior role or it's starting now, I just want to, because many times I get the best type of inputs, the best type of insights from these people because they have been looking at the industry in a different perspective, a fresher perspective. And you're you're not as held down by those practices that we've been doing for so long that just it gets tiring because we don't know how to get out of them many times. I love to hear that point of view. Definitely. Yeah. It was interesting because when I first got my role at macro, the chief design officer, Hiam, who is definitely the most creative designer I've ever met. She immediately asked me, what do you think about the product or what is your perspective on this in the product? And it was it took me aback because she genuinely wanted to know from an outsider's perspective what is the first thing you see what is the first thing you notice and that's one thing that you can really be bogged down on is if you're if you're working on a product or if you're working in a team you've been staring at this thing for months if not years and working and being in this small ecosystem focusing on it so intensely that it's hard to get that new perspective And so with a a new designer, an intern, whatever, lean into that because asking questions and advocating based off of informed decisions or informed perspectives is huge because you have, you're coming in with new eyes, fresh eyes. And I think that idea of constantly learning and having fresh eyes is the superpower of young junior designers. Look, and and even when I say junior, and I, and I take this as a very bad naming for any type of role when we talk about juniors. I love the term newcomers because it just means that someone just entered the world or started working in a specific role. But it's not as like junior always feels like you're enchilding someone. Like it, you're a junior, it's like you're very small. No, you're someone that's still learning. You're a newcomer. You have fresh eyes. You have fresh mind applied to these things. And even when it comes to the point where you become a designer, then when you, oh, yeah. they, talk, they start talking about being a lead, a senior, or an, or whatever, it's always a very weird 
thing because at the end of the day, we're all designers. We're just at different stages of our roles and we have those different points of view. And that's what really makes it so that the industry could grow and scale and and what design as a whole can actually get to evolve as it is right now. Whereas I feel like it's going through such dramatic change in the last like five years into what it means to be a designer, what it means to work on design because of all of those new perspectives and all of new people, not just because of businesses, not just because of the necessity of some, I don't know, corporate thing. It's more about the fact that these new voices, these new people like yourself that are just changing industries, that are just finding design, that are actually found design when they were really young and they are starting in design as like kids. Those voices do have an enormous effect into the way that things evolve. And and it, and it's great that it's an industry that it's more and more listening to those people, to those newcomers, as I feel yeah. like before it wasn't. And there are still a lot of other industries that aren't, where seniority is taken as such a strong, very um, structural role of what it means to work in that industry, that it downplays a lot of what actually could be great ideas. Yeah. And the best piece of advice I've gotten recently is just call yourself a designer. Yeah. Drop the junior. Just call yourself a designer. You're here. You're one of us. And advocate for the things that you believe in. Voice your opinion because it matters. And walk with your with your head held high. And don't worry about being a junior and wanting to, you know, you want to get your marching orders from the senior or, or whatever. I mean... When it comes to design, it is a creative process and there are certain constraints because we are developing a product that serves a function and purpose. But if you don't call yourself a junior, most people will just treat you like a, like an equal. And yeah, a lot completely. of it has to do with that in, internal imposter syndrome, which I know for sure I've been dealing with for the past you know few months. But And I don't know a single designer that doesn't have imposter syndrome. If they don't have it, either their ego is really great giant ego which is i don't know great for you or they are really good at their job and they are really sure because most designers that i know even the really great ones always say like i don't know if i'm i always have imposter syndrome i heard this phrase so many times with every designer because of, i don't know even the fact that the industry is always changing and the, the job description is always changing people never feel like they perfectly fit something i would say yeah. but it's interesting but yeah call yourself a designer greatest advice in the industry at all times. That's for me. 100%. 100%. And I would say now, moving into the, the fact that you are now a designer, you've entered the industry, you started moving a little bit into this into this field and, and learning with different people, different process, different work. How does, does that, being a designer now, learning the type of things that the designer has to deal with every day changes the view that you have of the world around you, of how you experience the world around you? That's a, that's a good question. And, oh man, first and foremost, just hearing you're a designer. That's just a, it's a good feeling. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but for me, at least the way I, I view my relationship as a designer with the world, mm -hmm. I try to keep myself open to inspiration from any source. That's my that's the one thing that I think has happened or the shift as I've come in into this space is anything can be a source of inspiration for a design. 
whether that's old school graphic design or, or you know print design or if that's a, a physical product and how they designed it or another app that you're using and you're looking at at it from not just a, a consumer but also oh wow like now that i have this lens of a designer i can start to see the hierarchy and the typography and those things but with that said, it, it, it taught me to look for inspiration from a number of different sources. And the one example that I like to, to think of in terms of sourcing inspiration is the designer who helped design the high-speed rails in Japan. He was an avid bird watcher. I, I know and, this story. <laughs> yeah, the, the kingfisher, yeah. And they were dealing with a problem where the trains were getting really loud as they get out of the tunnel because of the, the pocket of air. And the designer who was in charge of helping with this process realized that he was taking inspiration from this bird, the kingfisher. And the way that its beak is shaped, it, it allows for aerodynamics in such a way that it can apply to the train. Hmm. And so that whole idea of biomimicry and applying that to your design process and sourcing inspiration from anything out in the world, whether that's nature, whether that's, again, print, whether that's another app, whether that's somebody making a, uh, you know, an observation on TikTok, getting inspiration from any and all sources is valid. Yeah. And applying them, that's the, the tricky part of it is where, how do I apply this? Do I apply this to this design? Do I apply it to this aspect or this feature? That's the fun part. That's the creative part. Yeah. So definitely. I would say for me, at least, is like being open to inspiration from any source mm -hmm. and then iterating on application of that inspiration. That's a great, great way to look at things. And definitely something that many times is not spoken as much as it should. Like when we talk about being a designer, and even in those, and going back to the topics like, the way that you talk about those courses, those uh, boot, boot camps and everything, many times they are structured around what it means to be a designer using the structures and the ideas that we're used to see as part of the structural part or, or the, the documenter part of being a designer. But that inspiration that you can take out of the world is something that many many times is talking about and, and even romanced, uh, romanced a little bit in talks, in the stories of some designers, stories like that one, which is great, it's forgotten in the way that people are brought into the industry. It's it, it's always like something that you learn from another designer, right? Right. Which is great, but at the same time, it's like it's sad that people forget about putting that into the training, into the learning, into the, the way that you talk about design. It, it always becomes something that it's more a point of in the story on someone that is a designer, and it happened naturally than it is in the way that people are taught to be designers. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, instead of having the rigid idea of like sources of inspiration, this is where we start to get into the creative side of design mm -hmm. where you might need to take some time and like take a walk or look at inspiration from dribble or from some other, you know, coffee table books. I know that that's a, that's a big source of inspiration mm -hmm. for me is just yeah. looking at different different sources um, or just taking some space. And for me, at least I, one of my, one of my favorite quotes from uh, Bruce Lee is the whole idea of be like water. 
And so <laughs> not to be stuck with a specific or rigid idea or form, but the idea of being formless and be fluid in terms of your application and your process and don't be, you know, stuck in a certain way. I'd say that that has definitely uh, informed a lot of how I navigate the world and also how mm -hmm. I design is to be formless, to, to be like water and to just sort of adapt based off of the situation, based off of the problem that you're solving. And the inspiration and the application can, that's again, like that's the creative part of it is just to take your time and, you know, jam and figure it out and <laughs> bounce ideas off of each other. But that's, I think, the one thing for me is just to don't just limit yourself to, to one source of inspiration or one way of, of seeking inspiration. Definitely. And, and there, there are so many different ways of doing that. There are so many different paths to get inspiration, build inspiration, practice design in a way that it's not just about solving the problem, but also, I don't know, thinking about the problem differently. There's a lot of things that you can do to, to expand how you do your job as a designer. And there are stories like the Kingfisher one. There was a great story that I saw during the first Figma conference config February last year, where there was a designer from GitHub, I'm forgetting her name right now, that took a lot of inspiration from cities in the work that she was talking, seeing like design is a little, a little bit like city order ordering and, and making sure that cities work properly for the work that she was doing. Like, Interesting because it's a completely different type of thing, but they have similarities and she could see a lot of work there and get a lot of inspiration out of those things. And I love those stories. I love how people can rethink and fit the mold and be that fluid that can adapt to the situation. That means being a designer nowadays. That means being a designer is to serve someone and adapt to their problem and, and learn how to help them achieve at the end of the day either being a product, either being, I don't know, even something that it's more communication-wise as we do in more in graphic design and stuff like that. So it's it's a great way to look at things. And I love how you tied it in with the Bruce Lee because that's a great quote. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, a great example of designing to meet people where they are is with Uber. And this is a case study that, that I read about from Femka, who's a pretty famous designer. And she was talking and she wrote about how she was designing for Uber in Mexico, in Mexico City, mm -hmm. and how one specific problem that they were adapting for, specifically the Mexico market and that area, was that a lot of people would prefer to pay with cash. Mm -hmm. And so how do you design Uber and that is, I think, the perfect example of a constraint or an outside problem in the real world and then creative problem solving and meeting people where they are is, okay, well, I'm an outsider coming into this culture and this is how the culture is choosing to interact. How do we design to not assume a solution on top of how things are done here, but how do we complement it? How do we help them? How is our product going to fit into the way that humans interact? Yeah. And that's good design instead of assuming a solution, just saying, well, we're Uber, we're just going to be Uber and you're going to have to just use Uber <laughs> the way everyone else uses it. Yeah. That's a true sign of great design. Yeah, definitely. Um, and to hand, the one question that I ask everyone is, 
do you believe that design is for everyone? And if so, in what way? I, I really like this question because when you say design is for everyone, I think about it in two perspectives. Yeah. So design is for everyone so that everyone can be a designer. Mm -hmm. And then design is for everyone because you're designing for everyone. 100% and, on that. <laughs> yeah. And I think the second one is what excites me or is the one that I think about most is because if I'm going to be designing for everyone and with my focus on accessibility and inclusive design, that's where you're designing for everyone. And that's where you have to ask the questions. That's where you have to, to check your privilege and your bias at the door and start yeah. to, to ask questions from other people. But the only way you can design for people with a different background than you or from a different perspective than you is to have them involved. And part of that is having the first part of it, which is everyone should be a designer or we should have people with every single different type of background, race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, every diverse perspective should help inform design. Yeah. So we need more Native American designers. We need more trans designers. We need more LGBTQ members. We need people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. We need people of every single type of walk of life, age, mm -hmm. physical ability, whatever, to be involved in the design process. So whether that is your designer helping inform that or asking the questions and designing the product for everyone, mm -hmm. or you're including personas in your design or use cases for people that have like a physical disability or a use case for someone that you weren't considering. And how does someone fill out a form field when they're, you know, they're not going by their birth name because you don't want to dead name them. They have their name that they, yeah. that they, yeah, they yeah. identify by. And so it's like, that's the part where design is for everyone because we need everyone to design. And then we need to include everyone in the design process, the research phase, the testing phase. And then we need to make sure everyone likes the design and iterate on it to make sure that it is inclusive. Yes, design is for everyone, but we need everyone to design. Love that. Just, you, you summed it up in such a, a very clean and perfect way that it just, I love it. And it's a lot of what I believe, and it's a lot of what I preach a little bit here, but I love to hear other people's opinion on it. And it was just great to hear you talk about that and how you connected the dots. Just great. That's all I got to say. Thank Aki. you. Yeah. And then, Aki, thank you for being here today with me and with everyone listening to the podcast. Thank you for telling us a little bit about your story and all the amazing things that we talked about today. I hope you enjoyed it. And just wish you the greatest of lucks in the design world. That's all I can say, I guess. Thank you so much. And honestly, I am a collection of a number of different people, mentors, people that I've learned from or been impacted by. So I appreciate you giving me the space to, to speak to some of that. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity. And um, yeah, thank you. Again, thank you. And thank you, everyone listening to this podcast. See you all next week for another episode of Design is for Everyone.